And open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. We had our first fire in the wood stove, either this week or the end of last week. Can't remember when it was exactly now, but boy, I love that. We got a little family room kind of between the kitchen and the living room, and a wood stove insert in the fireplace, and we found these certain kind of presto logs. You put, you stack them up two on top of the other two, and you light them, and man, they just give off just the right amount of heat. And we get in there with our blankets like a couple of old people. <laughs> it's kind of like a, kind of like a sauna, but not quite like a sauna. What an awesome thing. Be toasty warm all evening long. In Ephesians chapter 1, God has given us a whole recital of, of uh, a lot of the blessings of salvation. And they ought to warm our heart. Sometimes our hearts aren't warm because we don't meditate enough on what God has done so we're taking time at this Thanksgiving season to to think through Ephesians chapter 1 and to understand a little better some of the blessings that God has given us. Starting in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore... I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week, we learned, starting in verse 3, that God has enriched us, and he has done so in a unique way. God reveals his existence to us in two perspectives— in an omnipresent perspective and transcendent. And that is that God is everywhere at all times, and yet he also has a special existence in heaven, uh, an existence that we generally call above us. And it's proper for us to think of God in both of those ways. 
And because he exists in that way, he reveals our existence in two perspectives as well. And when I say our, I'm talking about those who have already believed in Christ. Those who have not believed in Christ have an existence only here on this earth during this life. But we have an existence on earth and in heaven. We are here, and yet God says we're citizens of heaven. That is our home. That is where we are with Christ. And so God's blessings are also ours in two perspectives, here and now, in heaven and on earth. We have, we, we have some of those blessings now, but the full realization of them will be in heaven And God has enriched us. Verse 3 says he has given us every spiritual blessing that's possible. Every spiritual blessing. He's given it all to us. And And as God caused Paul to list out some of those blessings, the first one he listed is this, that God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And the important thing that that means to us is this, God initiated our salvation. This week, as you think about giving thanks, as we come tonight to praise the Lord in song and in word, we ought to thank God for our salvation and for the impact it's had in our life because he is the one who started our salvation. He called us to himself. He worked circumstances in our life that would cause us to want to come to Christ. The third blessing that's listed is this, God recreated us. That is, we can be like Christ. We are not stuck in the impact of our sinful humanity. We have examples all around us. We see it in the newspaper. We see it on the TV news of of the impact of sin. You know, some of the real blatant examples of that of people shooting one another and doing all kinds of terrible things. And... We're not stuck in sin. We can be like Christ. We struggle to be like Christ, and sometimes we get focused on the struggle, but we need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, I am making some progress, and I get to be like Christ. It is possible to be like Christ. The fourth blessing we saw in verse 7 is this, God freed us. He spared no expense to save our souls He has redeemed us, and we'll talk more about that this morning. And then the fifth one that we looked at last week, God adopted us into his family. We are members of his family. We have privilege like Christ does, and we're going to look at some more of that blessing today as well. Look in verse 9 with me now at the next blessing that God gives us. He enlightened us. Look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. God has made his will known to us. There is a broad principle and a specific truth and an encouragement to this as well. The broad principle is just as this verse says. God made his will known to us. God had a plan for this planet, for this universe, and for us. And he set that plan in motion, and he has told us here everything that we need to know about that plan. We aren't in the dark. We aren't in the dark about this life. We aren't in the dark about the next life. As we read in in 1 John chapter 5, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. God has a plan, and he's let us know about that. Now, the word mystery is used here, and when we see that word mystery, our tendency is to think, oh, there's something hard to understand, there's something hidden, there's something tricky about this understanding, and that is not it at all. The word mystery in the New Testament almost always means a previously unrevealed truth. It's not a new truth. It's not a hard truth to understand, but it's a truth God did not make public until this moment. And part of that right here, right now, in terms of a specific truth, is what we find in chapter 3 of Ephesians. Look in chapter 3, verse 1, and let's look at the specific truth that Paul made known, this mystery. 
For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the the dispensation, that's a word that means the realm of responsibility. Paul was given a, a realm of responsibility for ministry. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you will understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And here it is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of God's promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister, a person to talk about it according to the gift of grace of God given to me. The specific truth is something that was not known in the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament did God say real specifically, now a day is coming when I'm going to bring the Gentiles and the Jews together into one body. The word Jewish, Jew or Jewish, comes from the word Judah. And if you remember, the nation of Israel is divided into two sections, Israel in the north, Judah in the south because of a civil war. And so Judah became the, the place known for God's people. And so if you were from Judah, you were a Jew. That's where the word comes from. The word Gentile means, eth- it's where we get our word ethnic, and it means an ethnic group. And in the Bible, Jew and Gentile are the two groups that that God refers to because his chosen people always saw themselves as the entity of God, the chosen people, the Jewish people, and there was everybody else, the ethnics, the Gentiles. And so the specific truth here is that the body of Christ is composed of all people, Jewish and Gentile. Now that's, a, that's old news to us in 2015. But in the day when this was written, that was revolutionary. As revolutionary today as when our friend goes into that Middle Eastern country that we spoke of earlier and brings together pastors from all different backgrounds. Some from the Muslim background, some from the Coptic Christian background, some from no religious background, all these different groups and different tribes, and they come together, and you know what? They don't like each other. They're all born-again Christians. They're all pastors leading churches, and they don't like each other because of all these old animosities from their growing up days, and it has been our friend's responsibility and joy to work through teaching and and fellowship activities and to help them come to trust each other and to love each other and to serve together. That's the kind of thing that Paul was addressing here. He's saying, listen, all of you Ephesian Christians, in Ephesus it would have been the Gentiles, but he said, you're part and parcel of the body of Christ. Now come back with me to verse 9 of chapter 1. Here's the encouraging reality that I want you to think about today. God made his will known to us. The Apostle Paul didn't even know all of God's will before he died. Unless God revealed it to him and he taught it orally, but he didn't write the whole New Testament. The Apostle John wrote that whole last section. And then there's Peter in there and and whoever the author of Hebrews was. But now we have all of God's will all laid out for us. God has made it known to us. And this wonderful verse from Peter, God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue And the next verse goes on to talk about the great promises of God. God has told us everything we need to know 
to honor him and enjoy his joy and peace throughout life. We aren't in the dark. We don't have to wonder how to live. It's all in here. Now, certainly the Christian life is one of of day by day gaining more of God's truth and living more of God's truth. So there will be days when we may not feel like we know how to live. But there should never be a day when we say, I just can't find the truth because it's all in here. And we go to God's word and we learn his truth. We're not stumbling in the dark trying to figure out life. We don't have to live in worry and fear. The people that we call terrorists are working hard to make everybody in the world scared of them. And when we are tempted to fear, we have to go to God's word and say, should I be afraid for tomorrow? Should I be afraid, first of all, of my eternal destiny? Absolutely not. Should I be afraid that somehow God isn't going to be able to care for me if some of this comes to my door? No. We don't have to live in worry and fear because God is at work in us. He knows what we need, and he's going to take care of us. We can walk confidently because we have God's truth. We could go Friday. Sue and I usually go out to dinner and maybe do something else on Friday night, and I said, what do you want to do tonight? And just like that, she says, I want to go to the Hopewell uh, Craft Fair. Sounds great, dear. I think she's on some kind of craft fair master website. Because this Friday night, I said, what do you want to do tonight? I want to go to the craft fair down at this certain place. (laughs) What? We used to live over in Everson. I thought I knew where the Hopewell Grange was, but I didn't. And uh, she looked it up on their website and punched it in on the phone like you can do now, and we go, oh, okay, it's on this road right here. I know where that is, so made our way over there, and we got right there till the phone was going, you're here, and we looked around, and we said, no, there's nothing here. We're in the middle of Whatcom County somewhere, you know. So then we did more research and got the address and plugged it into the GPS, and it said, go down here, there, and around. And instead of telling us to do a U-turn and get back fairly close to where we needed to be, we went way around Robin Hood's barn. And out there on that side of Everson, it's dark on Friday night in November. And uh, it is not fun driving around not knowing where you're going, trying to find where you want to be. There's nothing worse than trying to find a new place in the dark in the boondocks. What a blessing to have God's complete truth for life. He has told us everything we need to know for life and godliness. It's in here. He's revealed his will for us. God could have saved us and said, okay, you're going to end up at heaven, but between you know, now and then, you're on your own. Now, those of us who know God say, well, that just doesn't sound like him at all. No, it doesn't. But you've got to remember, it's a grace gift. God has graciously made his will known to us. What a great blessing. Well, number seven, God endowed us. And the word endow means to receive an inheritance God has given us an inheritance. Look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is so gracious in his love that he has stored up great things for us. And I'd like to take you fast forward to the book of Revelation and see what God has set aside for our inheritance. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
Second uh, Peter chapter 3 says, a day is coming when this earth and these heavens will pass away with a great fire. God is going to consume them and start over from scratch. The first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. When God writes like that in the scripture, it's, it's kind of a redundancy. God will be with them. Why did he say God himself will be with them? It's to stress how significant it is. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Our inheritance is a place, a perfection, and a person. The place is the new heaven and new earth and a new city, the new Jerusalem. And when the new Jerusalem, when it says that it is as a bride adorned for her husband, I believe we would understand that that will be the dwelling place of Christians. When you read in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. It doesn't actually say mansion like we think of a mansion. It means a designated place to live. In my Father's house are many places. I go to prepare a place for you. The new, the new Jerusalem, the, place, the dwelling place. Why do I say that? I say that because the destiny of the God's chosen people, the Jewish people, is to inherit the earth. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have access to the earth. They won't have access to the new Jerusalem. I, I have no reason to understand that we won't have a broad access to the universe around us. But your name is somewhere on that new stuff God is making. I am going to prepare a place for you. You are named in the will. The place is a new heaven, new earth, and new city. The perfection that is in our inheritance is absolute righteousness. If your family is like ours, when we get together this week, and we're all gonna be together over in Leavenworth, there will be some righteousness, and there will be some other stuff, <laughs> some not quite righteousness, okay? And when there's the righteousness, you go, oh, this is awesome. And when there's the other stuff, you're going, oh, I wish we could just be righteous all the time. And God willing, as we move through life, we are becoming more righteous. We are becoming more like Christ. But there is coming a day when we are going to be in a place that is perfect. God is going to burn up this earth and this heaven because it's tainted with sin, and he's going to create a new one in which righteousness dwells. And we will be there perfectly righteous in Christ. And every time we shake someone's hand, and every time we go to worship, and every time we move about the planet, every single interaction with people will be perfect. Everything we encounter will be perfect because it will be completely righteous. And then the third part of our, the third part of our inheritance is the person of the triune God. What God emphasizes in that passage from Revelation is this, he he and us will be face to face. God himself will make his tabernacle. The word tabernacle means a dwelling place. He is gonna make his dwelling place with us. <clears throat> right now, we have a place in heaven 
but our existence is on earth. God is omnipresent, but we don't see him face to face. Someday we're gonna see him face to face. Someday we're gonna see Christ like Thomas and we're gonna see the print of the nail in his hand and we're gonna see the mark of the, of the spear in his side and, and we're gonna reflect on all those pictures of Jesus we've seen. <laughs> and we go, man, those things weren't even close. We will see him as he is. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Our inheritance is a place, a perfection, and a person. <clears throat> My grandfather left me three things, which I treasure. A pair of cufflinks, a pocket watch, and a typewriter. Now, if you... <laughs> You can still use cufflinks if you get the right kind of shirt. It's actually kind of hard to buy around here. But cufflinks, a pocket watch, and a typewriter, three things that are all kind of obsolete. A treasure because they came from him. Useful, not so much. This is the inheritance God's given us. That's what your name is on a person, a place, and a perfection. The inheritance that God has given to those who believe in Christ as Savior is beyond imagination in its quantity and quality, and it has our name on it. You know, you might be poor down here. You might be... You might be not poor, but you're not rich. And there might be some days when you think, boy, I wish I was rich. I understand that. But what God is calling us to do is to get our mind off of this world up onto his world and say, I am rich. I am rich beyond, I am rich beyond the imagination. Well, God enlightened us and he's endowed us and he also protects us. God protects us. Look at verse 13. In whom you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. There are several terms in here that are very important to understand, and it's a little bit, it, it's not really complex, but there's a lot of information in those few words. The first one is the word seal, and that's why I've put this picture up here. This is an old-fashioned signet ring, and uh, you've seen this on TV, maybe some of you have the little gizmos the little stamp and the, the wax, and you melt the wax and put it, on the, put it on the envelope and then push the little seal down into it. And back in the day, um, in the, certainly in the time of the Bible and going forward for hundreds of years, this was the way you guaranteed the contents inside. So, you know, a, a person of, of wealth or of means, uh, a king or some government official, would have an official document to send from here to there, and the only way the recipient could know it was a valid document was if it was sealed. Because if it wasn't sealed, it could have come from anybody. But he would know what the signet ring looked like, and so here comes a document. It could have been folded. It could have been rolled up, and the wax is put on, and the stamp of the seal is put in it. And when he gets it, he goes, okay, that's, that's the real thing. Here's the thing you need to understand spiritually for yourself. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, God took his signet ring, and he poured the wax of the Holy Spirit on you, and he put a stamp down in there. He put the stamp in there. And you know what that means? That means you're inside of his seal and no one can break the seal. It's a security device. But he doesn't just use the word seal. He says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's seal on your salvation. 
But look at verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. Today, I guess you'd say the guarantee of the inheritance is a paper document held by a lawyer who is supposed to be outside of the family, so he makes sure everything gets done properly even then. Things aren't guaranteed. Sometimes a lawyer takes the money himself. But God has given you the Holy Spirit, and I, I think the... Uh, See, did I put the words there? The word sealed is a stamp, and then the word guarantee, a deposit or a pledge. The NA, New American Standard gets it best when it says the pledge of our inheritance. And the concept is still used today in what we call earnest money. Now, if mostly the idea of earnest money is used with real estate. You go to buy a house and you say, I want the house, here's an offer, and they accept your offer and you give them typically $1,000 or you know, maybe more if it's a really expensive house and you give them this 1000 and say, I'm serious. And of course, if you don't come through, they get to keep your money if, if you fail in your agreement. The earnest money that keeps the transaction in process until it is completed. I was at Costco a couple of phones ago when I was buying a new phone and I was talking to the guy about selling my phone. And he says, oh, I, I think you'd get 100 bucks for that phone and you know, go on Craigslist or whatever. And while we're talking about it, a guy walks up. He says, you gonna sell that phone? I said, yeah. He said, how much you want? I said, 100 bucks. He said, I'll take it. Just a guy walking down there. I said, great. He said, I don't have the money till Friday, but I'll come on Friday. I said, here's my phone number. Okay, I thought, well, if he buys it, fine. If he doesn't, I'll sell it to somebody else. So about five minutes later, the guy came back, and he gave me 20 bucks, and he said, I just want you to know I'm serious, and I'm going to buy this phone on Friday. I said, great. Could have just walked out and sold it to somebody else, but now I'm not that kind of guy, okay? He gave me a payment guaranteeing the full payment. That's what the Holy Spirit is. God gave you the Holy Spirit so that you would know someday God is going to take you to heaven. You see, there's a little phrase in here that, that's a little tough for us to grasp sometimes too. Verse 14, the guarantee of our inheritance until, until the redemption of the purchased possession. What in the world is the purchased possession? You're not going to like it, but it's you. You are God's purchased possession. Look at, at verse 14 there. God is going to redeem you completely. When Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin. We know that what he did was sufficient for the sins of the world. When you believe in Christ, that penalty payment is applied to you. It's, it's, it's like there's money sitting there in the bank, but you don't get the benefit of it until you believe in Christ. Then that, that death of Christ pays for your sin. The penalty is paid. God calls that redemption because you were enslaved in sin. And he uses the imagery of the old slave sale when here's a person who's chained up and this guy owns him and he's gonna sell him to this guy and, and if somebody were to come along and say, I'm going to pay for that fella and then set him free, you'd call him redeemed. Christ paid the penalty. It gets applied to you. And when that happens, you, your sin is taken off, but you're not free like I can do anything I want. You are now free to serve God because he has purchased you into his family. But... And here's the part where this until the redemption of the purchased possession comes in. Your salvation isn't complete until you get to heaven. Now, I don't mean you're only half saved. In other words, when you believe in Christ, your sin is taken away, you're a child of God, you're ready to go to heaven right then, fully saved. But you're not in heaven yet, are you? And that's the part which is not completed. 
The forgiveness of sin and the implanting of the nature of Christ were just the beginning of salvation. Salvation also includes your home in heaven and the resurrection and glorification of your body. When sin came into the world, it impacted every aspect of creation, including our physical body. When we die, we know that our soul goes immediately to be with God and our body goes in the ground and disintegrates over time. And that is because of sin. Death and the destruction of the body are both a result of sin. Salvation not only ensures that our soul goes to heaven, but also that our body is redeemed or reclaimed by God from the impact of sin. This happens when our body is resurrected or when Christ comes to take us off the earth. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here is another previously unrevealed truth that he's gonna tell to the Corinthians. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Those who have already died and have corrupted, that is, their body has disintegrated, will be raised in an incorruptible state. And we, we who are alive and remain, shall be changed. For this corruptible body must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When we talk about sin and salvation, we talk about three tenses. And the transformation of our body is connected to the transformation of Christ's body. This passage here talks about the transformation of our bodies. Transformation of our body is connected to the transformation of Christ's body. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer, we will also be glorified together. Not only that, but we who are the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. When your body is resurrected or when you're raptured, your physical body will be perfected. It will exist without any impact of sin. That's what it means to have a glorified body. Do you want to know what the impact of sin is? Look at that. the impact of sin. The hair falls out, the knees fall apart, on and on and on, all those aches and pains that we have. God says there's one of two things in your future. Either you're going to die and and immediately your person goes to heaven, your body goes to the ground, or if you live until Christ takes all the Christians off the earth, at that moment, your body is resurrected, or those of us who are alive, our body is changed, and in heaven, we have a perfected existence. That is the moment at which salvation is completed. You see, when God looks at your salvation, he said, the moment you believed in Christ, I set in motion some things. And, and yes, you are spiritually ready for heaven, but your physical body won't be ready for heaven until I transform it, until I turn it into a perfect thing. We talk about salvation in three tenses. When we believed in Christ, we were saved from the penalty of sin. The moment that I believe in Christ, I'm ready to go to heaven. While we are in this life, we are being saved from the power of sin. Day by day, I say no to sin and yes to righteousness through God's word, and he changes me. But there is a future coming when we will be completely saved from the presence of sin, and that is both spiritual and physical. The spiritual part is whenever we see Jesus, 1 John 3 says we will be like him for we will see him as he is, And then these other texts that we've been looking at say that our bodies will be changed. 
we will have a perfect physical body to go together with a perfect spiritual body, and we will have a perfect eternal existence. And if we look at he, again at Ephesians 1:13 and 14, God says, I've given you the Holy Spirit so that you know that's going to happen someday. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always confident. See, the guarantee that the Spirit gives us is this right here. We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Holy Spirit in your heart is God's confirming promise that the day of complete face-to-face -face fellowship is coming. And he wants you to know in your heart that it's real. The question that I have today is this. Is that confidence in your heart? As you look forward to your time in, in heaven with God, or the time of your death, do you look forward and say, I know I'm going to be with God? Because if you don't have that confidence, it could be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes when we believe in Christ. If you really want to be thankful this Thanksgiving, put your faith in Christ as Savior and come into that confidence to where you know what is in your future. So God enlightens us, he endows us, he protects us, he uses us. God uses us. Look at verse, at verse six. To the praise of his glory. These blessings that God has given us are to the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. To the praise of his glory. All of these spiritual blessings have been done by God to demonstrate his character. How does our salvation demonstrate God's character? It expresses the depth of his love. What did mankind deserve for its sin? Physical and spiritual death. What did God give us? Salvation. Look at what Peter said about our salvation. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. The Old Testament prophets were studying the scriptures, trying to understand the salvation that was coming, but they didn't have all the scriptures, so they didn't understand it all. They have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them didn't signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not to themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Did you know that you have an audience today? The angels of God in heaven don't understand grace. You know why? Because they don't get grace. What happened to the angels who rebelled along with Satan? They lost their first dwelling place, as God calls it, the first abode. They left it, and they are forever condemned to be punished in hell. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. You know, God didn't make hell for you and me. He made it for them, and unfortunately, because of our sin, we get to share it with them. We don't, but those who have not believed in Christ do. So the angels in heaven don't understand grace. They, they don't experience grace. They are, they are hanging over the edge of heaven, looking down, going, what in the world? 
and they look at how God works in our lives, and they learn something about God from looking at you and me. And I imagine sometimes they're going, really? Really, God? Man, I don't know if angels have discussions. But if they did, they'd probably be saying, I don't know why he doesn't just do that once in a while. And then they come away going, wow, look how great he is. Look how gracious he is. Look how loving he is, how kind he is. We reflect the glory of God like a fine piece of art reflects the ability of its maker. God chose us, God protected us, God blessed us, God sealed us. All of these blessings, the angels of God see it, and of course other people see it in time as well. So God uses us. We reflect the glory of God like a fine piece of art. And then the last blessing in this chapter, chapter is this. God enables our understanding. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians because he realized they would only appreciate these blessings with God's help. In other words, God wrote this all in the Bible. The question is, do we really appreciate it? We can't without God's help to open our mind. We need help to know God so that we might more fully appreciate all that he has done for us. God talks about knowing him and the depth that can come over time in this passage when John writes to his disciples and says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. What John is saying is, he says, I know that you're at different stages in your spiritual growth, but the stage of maturity is the stage at which you really know God and you're able to appreciate all that he has done as much as we can in this life that is limited. Uh, through some of the experiences that Sue and I have had over the years, uh, we've had a chance to meet a fair number of people who became famous or who might have been famous at a point in time like like a, a, gov a governor and an executive and you know officials like that, and I could say that I know them, but I don't really know them because I've never been to their house. I've never exchanged a phone number or become a Facebook friend. It would be more accurate to say I have made their acquaintance. And I'm sure if I walked up to them today, they'd say, who are you? Okay. Important question here today when you talk about knowing God is this. Do you know God or are you just an acquaintance? You know, in Matthew 7, God says there's, some people are going to show up at the judgment seat and he's, they're going to say, Lord, Lord. Be like, just like me going up to Gary Locke and say, hey, Gary, remember the time we had dinner up at Fire District 20 that one time? He'd go, who are you? God says he's going to be saying, who are you? To some people someday who don't really know him. If you want to rejoice in the great blessings God has already given, you need to know God deeply. A relationship with God is just like other relationships. First you meet. Next you spend time together. Jesus said that next comes obedience. And then comes obedience when it's difficult. And then comes serving. And through all of that interaction with God through his word and through prayer and through the body of Christ, we get to know God. We know him. And so on a day like Thanksgiving, we can just stop and say, wow, isn't God good? 
Look what he's done. He's done this, he's done this, he's done this. And we can rejoice in those blessings that he's given to us. A couple of weeks ago, engine light came on in my car. I hate it when that happens. Uh, took it to the mechanic, and uh, he said the thermostat's not working, not working properly. Well, a thermostat is a small part that doesn't cost too much, but can ruin your whole engine if it doesn't work right. So I said, okay, and, and of course mine and my car that's more complicated than it needs to be, it's way down, under, up, around, through, somewhere there. If our souls had warning lights, one of them would be about gratefulness. It would be, oh, ungrateful, ungrateful. <laughs> it would warn that we had slipped down into earthbound, self-centered, godless, self-pitying feelings. And the spiritual mechanic would prescribe this verse. Whatever things are true, that's the stuff of Ephesians 1. Whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, think on these things. The stuff of Ephesians 1 is the stuff we should be thinking on. The Christian who thinks this way does so by an active evaluation. This word think is a unique word, and it means to get a hold of things and bring them together for consideration. The Christian who thinks this way does so by active evaluation, which rejects natural human reactions to life and instead chooses God's thoughts as their own. May this Thanksgiving Day find us joyful, because we are meditating on God's great salvation blessings. Heavenly Father, help us. It is so easy to get distracted by the stuff of life, like a, uh, like a broken down car, or a paycheck that's not too big, or a relationship that's strained. It's so easy to get distracted and to become worried and anxious and ungrateful. Help us to get our eyes up on you and on the blessings you've given us and give us your joy and your peace and your hope as we look to the future and the great inheritance you've given us. Use us today to teach the angels and to reach the world. I pray in Christ's name, amen.